Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. <clears throat> I um, I really enjoyed the picture you sent me with the uh, sword down the back of your dress. <laughs> it's such a good movie. I, I was, We're actually going tomorrow night to see it. Good, good. Yeah, I think Trinity will really like it. But, uh, you know, it was a white, cis male, you know, American dude. Yeah, all of those things that you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I thought it was great, and you know, I, I have a seven-year-old now. Her birthday was this week, and wasn't going to take her because you know it's about it's about war. <laughs> and um, anyway, I, she she talked me into it, and she really enjoyed it, along with the ten-year-old who, you know, she already thinks she's an adult. Um, but it was it was great. Ninety-two <clears> percent. Yeah, I guess it is. Which yeah, that's great. Um, I have to I have to wait until after I see it tomorrow night. But um, <clears throat> yeah, there's some interesting things. Like apparently there's a scene where she's reading like um, yes, or somebody's like taking notes and, <laughs> and well, I'm not gonna spoil it. Cuneiform yeah. and Sumerian. Yes, it's it's Sumerian in the notebook, and I will, yeah, I won't I, spoil it. But um, we got out and I was read like, an article Hudson, about it. Did you did you get that? Well, I I don't know if we want to include this for the listeners, but um. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of nerded out when when that occurred. And uh, anyway, you'll you'll see what happens. But just the the whole mythology behind it's really interesting because it's based on you know of course Greek mythology. If you know anything about comic books or Wonder Woman, there's a strong you know Greek mythology component to it. Um, but some of the twists and turns they make with the mythology, like watch out for that because it it makes like if if you know your mythology and if you know your you know, Gnosticism, Gnosticisms, as you would say, um, you know, there's a whole lot kind of under the under the blanket there, as it were, or under the shield. And uh, yeah, where, where they where they end up, especially at the end of the movie, um, with more of a dualistic nature of mythology. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. But you, you'll see. And they kind of unravel everything in the first not unravel. They they unveil kind of the, the underground or the I'm sorry, I can't talk. The underlying mythology within the first five minutes, so you're not like, okay, great, there's Ares and yeah. Zeus and Poseidon, um, but they, the way that they change things up from kind of what is you know classic Greek mythology, I guess, uh, is, is pretty interesting. And Robin Wright from House of Cards, isn't it? Right. And she's right. fantastic as always. Yeah, you know that's that's how I felt of it. Yeah, I'm excited about seeing. It. That's how I felt about uh, Noah. Remember the um the movie? What was that? Just a year or two ago. Um, yeah, about kinda, Noah. I kind of watched that. I still haven't watched it. Yet. And the flood, and that there were. Oh, you need to watch it because there's so many elements that they pull in. At least that I recognized from. Um, like they pull in the Watchers and th- or I think like they pull in kind of not just the Watchers but like. There are, I think, fairly um, uh, not well-known kind of Christian interpretations of the Watchers that at least seem to me to be kind of the inspiration for some of what's going on in, in Noah. So there's a lot of things where it's kind of like, oh, they're pulling in uh, all of these other things. Right? They're really doing their homework, and I appreciate that. And and that seems uh, to be the case with Wonder Woman as well. So I'm yeah. definitely excited about you know seeing all that. So. Yeah, it's cool. And then uh, don't don't open this link yet, but I'm going to put a link in the show notes, and I'll put a spoiler thing for people, but the title is from BuzzFeed. But the title is 15 Crazy Details in Wonder Woman that you 100% missed. And uh, it, lots of spoilers, but 
anyway, it's it's a great, great read. Like just walking in and I just kind of quickly Googled Wonder Woman just to see what, you know, what the Google was yeah. doing. Because I was trying to avoid spoilers, which I don't do. I mean, like I'm on the Star Wars Secrets subreddit and, you know, uh, Avengers <laughs> stuff. I have no problem, like, getting spoilers. And it, it doesn't detract for me. But for some reason, this movie, I, I didn't want to have it spoiled because I, I had high hopes. And, you know, with something like Wonder Woman, it can be... I'm, I'm not trying to sound sexist. It can be so silly because we have that baggage of, you know, the Linda Carter show and, and the, the TV shows where she's got the invisible airplane and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But, but recently, yeah, her comic books have really started getting getting real. And and I'll just say this. Notice where she works at the beginning and end of the movie. It's fantastic. And uh, and I, I, will, okay. I will spoil this for you. Wonder Woman uses Gmail. Which I think is fantastic. Mary Hudson caught that. My daughter. Nice. I was like, oh, that's Gmail. Wonder Woman uses Gmail. Nice. So it's great. It's, it's just it's... like Wonder Woman. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and and well, she didn't have an iPad to show Surface Pro, but um, I'm sure that was paid for by Microsoft. Uh, it was good. It was, uh, I was yeah. I was excited, and, and I'm glad to see this because I mean, you'll you'll find out, and I'm not going to spoil for people out there, but there are a lot of eh, pro woman, uh, uh, anti men scenes and language and, and adaptations of cultural memes and, and all sorts of kind of in-your-face type stuff to, like, the Gamergate Twitter people, I think. Um, yeah. The people that got upset that, you know, some of the opening night showings were women only <laughs> or whatever. Um, and I'm, I'm not right. laughing at that because I know a lot of people really felt hurt or whatever. But, um, <laughs> you know. It, it's it's hard being a white man. I'm laughing at it. When you want to watch a comic book movie. I guess. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> but yeah, it, oh. it it's it's not it's not oblique. But there are some oblique messaging things out there. But I was I was excited for my, my two little girls to see this and kinda come out of the movie, you know, excited about Wonder Woman. Because, I you know, growing up she was always kind of the you know you, you tolerated her as part of the Justice League. But she was you know, she wasn't like really anyone's favorite per se you know she wasn't batman or superman right heck i liked aquaman you know that's how nerdy i was yeah um but this this puts her up there this really redeems that and and i think the vision that um the original i forgot the, the person's name who created wonder woman um but it's a cool backstory you know she do you know the whole backstory behind wonder woman no oh, this is making great radio um I'm going to read some Wikipedia here for you. Uh, I read this. I, I should know this. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, oh, this is the movie. I don't want the movie. I want. Uh, I want. I want the the uh, Wonder. What? Not 2017 film. Wonder Woman history. This is going to bring up all kinds of other stuff. Uh, okay, here we go. All right. Uh, yeah, Wonder Woman was created by the American psychologist and writer William Moulton Marston, who was writing under Charles Moulton as his pen name, and artist Harry G. Peter, which is a funny name. Uh, <laughs> Marston and his wife Elizabeth Cohabitant, Cohabitant, huh. Olive Byrne is credited as being the inspiration for the character's appearance. Wow, man, and I, I'm again not being sexist, but in the movie, like Diana's a Gal Gadot is a very attractive person. Um, I thought it was based on like 
Yeah. Marston combined his, Elizabeth's, and Olive's feminist ideals to create a superhero character that young girls and boys could look up to. Um, let me see. He gave the idea to Gaines, the thing. So, uh, what's the... Um, there's something in there where, where it, it's like a Rachel Carson or something gets gets roped into the mythology of Wonder Woman. Anyway, I'll figure it out later. But yeah, it's cool. Sumerian Greek mythology. There's some museum stuff. The Louvre's there. I mean, it's 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 got it, it's got it all. And, and the, the male actors are, are fantastic as well. Very believable. So. <laughs> Very believable. That's all we need from them. <laughs> well, you know, just be somewhat believable. It just, you know, it, it's got, it's, it's not like a Disney movie where oftentimes you have, you know, like Belle in, in, in the newest cartoon version of, of Beauty and the Beast. You know, my kids like that. Let me know if we keep siloing. I can always stop and restart. So in, in Beauty and the Beast, the, the Disney cartoon, um, you know, Belle is, a great character, very believable, but the, the things around Belle, you know, whether it's the, the stupid singing things or, you know, even the bee sometimes, like, there's, it's one dimensional, you know? Right. Or, or you know, in, in a lot of the newer movies, like Brave and that kind of stuff, you know, there's with Pixar, there, there's that one standout character, but everything around kind of serves a purpose, purpose of just being there to be around, and you don't really care about the backstories of the things around the, the main protagonist. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's the case here. And evidently, there's some other lead-ins, like some of the characters go off and do cooler other things later, and blah blah blah. But anyway, all, all that to say, like I, I, I would watch a movie about a number of the characters in the movie, which is, you know, it's, it's like a good book. Oh, and there's some Dan Brown in there too. Right, exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you after you watch it. Okay, good. <laughs> you know, I love some Dan Brown. <laughs> uh, he's working on the new book. I guess that's what he does for a living, but oh yeah, yeah. I guess that is kind of what he does for a living. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I guess well we're, we're yeah, we're definitely really excited about it. So good, good. Do what I said. I guess we're in the show now. Yeah. It's... I guess so. Yeah, it's <laughs> just kind of been talking about Wonder Woman. Sorry, it's mythology. Um, the whole time I'm thinking yeah. like, oh, I hope Thomas sees it so we can we can talk about the theology of Wonder Woman on the show. Because I think people would would appreciate that. You know, we talked about doing. Some... We'll have to do that maybe next week after well, we'll have seen it. Yeah. Do a spoiler show. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know where to even begin with everything else that we have been talking about this week. <laughs> it's so last week. I mean, this has just been. It is. At this point, a lot of it is so last week. We already talked about that, the well, speed well, of the news cycle here. and stuff. Speaking, but, of, speaking of last week, let's start here. Or, or do you want to segue? Do you have something in mind? Because I just have a little quick, no, no, go for it. Quick, quick transition piece. Did you get the new Twitter? I did get the new Twitter. I got the new Twitter. I didn't think they were putting it on Android, but evidently it's on Android. We don't have the streaming thing yet. Yeah. Yeah, the, the interface. And that's pretty nice. Um, well, that's, that's yeah, the main I mean, reason it's I use nice, the It's cleaner. Apps, I like yeah. that. Right. Yeah. Um, but 
I mean, most of the comment, most of the commentary that I saw today on Twitter about new Twitter was like, hey, Twitter, can we get an edit button? Oh, what's that? You want round profile pictures? Sure. No, like an edit button would be great. Oh, okay. So like new icons. That's cool, right? Uh, no, like an edit button maybe would be cool. Yeah. So we, we don't, we don't, it's want like an the edit one button. thing people have wanted for years. Yeah. But uh, those people need to shut the hell up. All right. Cause Twitter's been around for. <laughs> 10 years, 11 years, actually. I've been on Twitter for 11 years. Longer than I've had my oldest child. That's weird. And <laughs> there's never been an edit button. And not saying that it needs to stay the, the same way it was, but can you imagine if, if Trump or Al Gore or, you know, Bob Dylan could go back and edit their tweets? Like, that's not – I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. And and that kind of goes against the whole nature of the, the ephemeral le- – on one one hand, the ephemeral yeah. nature of it, but on the other hand, all this stuff is going to the Library of Congress as well. Right. So so I I go back and forth on this because I think, for instance, like, yeah, we don't want Trump to be able to edit his tweets. Not that he would anyway, probably. Um, but also, you know, like we've all been there where like you send a tweet and then like starts getting a little bit of traction and you look at it again. And you're like, oh, really? Like, how did I misspell that? Or how did I forget like the verb in that sentence? It's like, well, I could redo it, but like people are retweeting it. So it's not going to get the same traction. You're like, ah, so times like that, it's like, yeah, let me just edit it. Um, no, no, that would be really nice. We, we don't have pamphlet sets in, in, in the digital world. You know, there's no way to scrape the text away and see what was underneath it. And we would never have beautiful things like Kovefe or, or just, you know, it, it, it really <laughs> makes you think before you, you tweet, supposedly. Um, and I've, I've always liked that about Twitter. And I've always supposedly. liked that they've, they've held their ground. Um, maybe, maybe not philosophically. Maybe they, they just don't know right. how to create something like that because that would be a huge, huge, huge undertaking technologically, I imagine. Um, but, you know, I mean, we, well, we but they can get text I mean, messages. You know? Yeah, I guess like, it would be. The whole thing is based on texting to begin with, and, and you send a text and it goes out, and right. if you actually accidentally send a picture of your genitalia to someone you didn't mean to send it to, they're going to receive it. You know, there's no there's no take backs, as it were. Um, you know, but I, I don't know. I, I like that that aspect of it. And every time I see people like, oh, there's no edit button, it's like, shut up, go to Facebook, go to Facebook, have fun, enjoy that, you know, burning dumpster fire. <laughs> You want some uh, you want some self editing and uh, correction? Yeah, go over there where it's like, no, no, this I, I linked or you know I shared this post because Bill Maher said this and now it doesn't say that and he took out the N word. Like what what is that? That's why you got to screenshot everything. Yeah, I mean, you know that helps, but still, like it's it's fun to go back and retweet someone. Not fun. I mean ironic sad sometimes as well but you know it's 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 nice to have that record you know whether it's donald trump or or who was it this week paul paul ran with but they can also like i mean delete ran paul yeah. yeah with his um with paul. his comments about yeah we have the we have the second amendment so that you know people can fire guns at government that's being tyrannical or something it's like that's who that's that was just like a year ago um <laughs> yeah other than that, I mean, yeah, new Twitter's fine. It's not a huge difference. I, I think it's, I think it's a good difference um, overall. It's fine. It's cleaner. That's good. Um, I'm still looking for a standalone DM app, as you are, but we are never going to get that. I'm convinced. So, yeah, I know. I, I they they did include a QR code 
thing like Snapchat or Facebook Messenger, which, you know, I mean, that's nice, but I don't know if they're ever going to spin out the, the DM app. Just because it, I don't know. I don't know if they see it as a, you know, it would be competing, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be something that people, you know, would, would use or latch on to because the messaging space is so crowded. You know? Yeah. That's probably true. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> it would be a big but, resource. Saga, anyway, their team's already small. Yeah. Anyway, that's Twitter. All right, what you got? So, I mean, there's like congressional testimonies we could talk about. There's um a, some other kind of really interesting reporting. Um, there's what's going on with the SBC, which has been interesting to watch. There also, of course, was the the shooting in Alexandria. Um, which is just, I mean, absolutely horrible. Like I've yeah, just horrible. Uh, apparently, Scalise is still in critical condition, um, and I don't, you know, I don't wish that on anybody. I do wish that some people's views about uh, guns would change, you know. Um, but so I don't know, right? It's kind of like where to start. Every week now is is just an insane amount of material. Um, if you're going to talk about kind of current stuff. Um, but the thing that really I think stuck out stuck out to uh, the two of us was this reporting in the New York in the New York Times about um, kind of the political beliefs of clergy in different denominations. Um, I mean, what was your kind of your first take on it? Well, it's like someone who uh, I'm sorry, it's thundering here. If you hear that in the background, um, friend on, on Facebook commented like, well, so what? So, you know, liberal congregations or, or denominations have liberal pastors and conservative ones have conservative pastors. Or, or what was it? Conservative political beliefs or, you know, people with conservative political beliefs have conservative yeah. theological beliefs or religious beliefs. I'm like, well, that's that's a little like, yeah, sure. haha, America. But that's a little hard to pin down something like a conservative theological belief because you end up getting strange bedfellows if you try to make that false kind of dialectical conservative liberal uh, argument with religion itself, you know, cause not, I mean, I could talk to someone who's, you know, a, a reformed Jew, um, evidently the, you know, with the most liberal uh, clergy uh, uh, rabbis, uh, you know, I could make kind of a statement, but there, there are things about reformed Judaism that we would take as conservative in many ways, you know, let alone the, you know, outside of the argument about the Messiah. Um, but right, you know, when it comes to when it comes to like even Episcopalians or, or you know, Episcopalians as we Baptists call them, you know, there there are things yeah. that no, are going to be liberal and progressive, or whatever. So I think Episcopalian is a good example. That's one of the ones that came to mind for me is that honestly, like from a theological perspective, I think Episcopalians are fairly conservative in a lot of respects, but they're very socially, um, you know, liberal. Um. I don't think you have a clear one-to-one -one there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, so, it, but I don't know. So what should we take away from this data then? I mean, it's a really interesting graphic, right, that we've got there, um, kind of ranking them from, you know, most liberal to most conservative or, or most liberal to least liberal, however you want to talk about that. I don't know. Um, I, I found it interesting that... It, and it's part of, it's, And this is also based on party registration, so there's that that... What does that actually tell you about liberal conservatives? I mean, I think that's an important caveat as well. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you which party I'm a member of, but it would surprise people, I think. And, you know, if, if you're taking just that data, then 
yeah, it's going to be skewed. Not that I'm going to skew Baptist and you know, cooperative Baptist isn't anywhere on here, um, of course, because there's there's only six of us. But you know, when it comes to things like where, where is it? Uh, I guess I'm I'm under Baptist General Conference, maybe. What is that? Um, <laughs> there's Foursquare, which at first I was thinking, wow, that, that's one of my favorite apps when it comes to location. <laughs> uh, also, it's a really fun. fun. It's a really fun game to play. <laughs> See, I, the and that's the other thing. So I've never, before the app, which came out in 2008 at South by Southwest, before or 2007, 2007, my, no, it's 2008. Um, anyway, before that app came out, I'd never heard of the game Foursquare. So I was telling people like, oh, you need to go install Foursquare. They're like, is it is it like the kids game? And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And they're like, Sam, there's a game with Foursquare. <laughs> I was like, what? There's a game? <laughs> this so, is such a good game. <laughs> what is this sports ball you speak of? So uh, there's also a, a group of people who worship Jesus that call themselves the Foursquare Church or whatever something. Right. But it's it's like Benny Hinn and Pat Robertson and uh, Oral Roberts who was one of my mom's favorites. I had no idea that there was a, a thing called Foursquare. And I've been watching Benny Hinn all my life. I mean, I've been watching him slap people down with the <laughs> with the, the suit jacket since I was a kid. And, <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, I was like, what is that? So you, you had to explain this to me, and then we got into a, a Wikipedia rat hole. But I was really excited about that. But I, it, so according to this chart, there are more, quote, liberal members of the Foursquare clergy than the PCA, which is what you're a member of, right? No, PCUSA, which is on here as Presbyterian. Come on, man. I'm just kidding. <laughs> is PCUSA on uh, I know. Presbyterian. It's, it just says Presbyterian, yeah. And then PCA is down at the bottom. Yeah, so y'all got to claim the name Presbyterian? Yeah. Well, I think the way it happened, like historically, I think the PCA split off. So they were together, and then there was a split – uh, over slavery, and then they came back together, and then I think the PCA decided to split off, um, and so that's when you got PCA, PCUSA. So I guess that's why we got to keep Presbyterians. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast about this a couple of weeks ago, and it was something to do with the limited atonement com- uh, factor uh, back in the 20s and 30s, I think, or something. Anyway, I don't I don't know enough about y'all, um, but it's like the Cooperative Baptist, you know, like we split off from the Southern Baptists because women. And and we're very different from the Southern Baptists because and w- women <laughs> like there's there are women and uh, maybe beer you can be both you can be SBC I don't know, and probably... CBF you know you can have the best of of both worlds yeah and uh, you know we we can't tell you what to do because we're Baptist and you know it's soul competency but but don't go marrying each other if you're you know the same gender we can tell you what to do then anyway um what is the EFCA um. EFCA? I don't know. E-L- yeah, I know right. ELCA. Yeah. And then Church of the God ELCA Anderson. is the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. Yeah, and they're, right. um, do you know Nadia Bowles Weber? Yeah, she's yeah, like, yeah. Um, yeah, all tied to pastor out in Denver. She's ELCA. Yeah. Yeah. My, my uh, best friend Ryan. He's yeah. A, I don't know EFCA. He's, he's ELCA. Well, he was ELCA. He was a, a pastor. I think he goes to a, no, he, I think they go to Lutheran Church again. Yeah. He was a, he was a priest in the ELCA. My roommate for four years, a, a Southern Baptist and an ELCA at a Methodist college. It was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> we used to have all kind of fun conversations at night. Um, so what are we yeah. – um, 
So, okay, so there's a lot of interesting, I mean, we've got a link here for you to look at, a lot of interesting kind of breakdowns of the different graphics, but because they, the type of, where they got their data from, they were able to look at other things too. Um, and so one of the things they looked at was gender and age breakdown, which was interesting. Um, not very interesting in my opinion, um, but you only have five denominations that have over a third of their clergy that are women. And the Unitarians are the only ones that have more than 50%. Um, and that was not surprising. Presbyterian is like right on the bottom of that. It, us and ELCA are right there, just over a third. UCC is a little bit higher. Reform Judaism. Um, and then Unitarian is over 50. Uh, everybody else is under 50%. And obviously then when you get down to you know, a lot of the more Southern or conservative ones, Southern Baptists, uh, Roman Catholics, Missouri Synod, um, Wisconsin Lutherans, those kind of stuff. It's basically zero. Um, and so that was a thing to see, particularly in these denominations that are like, Hey, we're, you know, very pro quality and pro women, uh, that you still see, um, a relatively small percentage of their leadership that are actually women. And not just that, but if you look at the age uh, a little further down, religious leaders' ages, almost everybody except for... Yeah, that was really kind of fascinating. Yeah, Christian Reform and Reform Judaism and uh, PCA. Most, all of these groups and all of their varied theologies, everything else, everybody's average age for their leadership, clergy, is over 60. So it's a bunch of old white males. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, separate in the AME. Yeah, group, I guess. Um, right. Well, there, there are some that are there. Are, there are some that are under sixty, but over fifty. Yeah, but it I mean, looks the, like the on the greatest sh- majority is like way. Short. No, I mean it's know, like yeah, fifty-five and up. Yeah, I mean that's 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 alarming right. to me for American Christianities. Yeah, that that's just bad. I mean that, that there's there's no two ways about that. Um, I mean, it's something. Our, the church that that we're at now hired a young guy, and he's like late thirties. Um, and I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of crazy. This idea. I, I, I mean, I do think, right. We have a lot of ageism, uh, in our society. And, and I honestly think that that's actually gotten worse as with like degree inflation. So, you know, people like me who stay in school until they're 30 or more, <laughs> we don't know what um, to do with it's you. Like, oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. Like you're still a student. So you're still a kid basically. Um, but then, you know, there are other people who, by the time they're uh, 30, they are, you know, running these multi-billion-dollar companies. But people in churches are like, I just don't know if you got no, enough experience. And it's like, dude, I have like a decade of experience doing this thing you want to pay somebody to do. Like, I definitely have enough experience. And by the way, I have ideas that maybe you haven't heard before. Not that anybody that's you know older might not have new or good or interesting ideas. But there is just kind of this like blanket. Oh, we want experience. And so kind of like minimum 45, 50 to even be considered yeah. um, in, in most churches, I think. With, with a PhD. And then, you know, so when you look at – right. So you look at that data and it's kind of like, well, is it really any wonder that, you know, a lot of young people are uh, – representation I think is really important. It's really you know, important in our political leaders and um, is why we're kind of in academia. A lot of people now are pushing against the mantle, right, the all-male panel, because uh, representation is, port- is important for you to see somebody that looks like you. And I think it's the same in the church. We need women. We need uh, people that aren't white. We need people that aren't straight. And we also need people that aren't old. 
Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. I, I just I, I scrolled down and saw that, and I was like, holy jeez, like that's that's concerning to me. Um, you know, not. I mean, I have a wife who's in her, you know, early mid thirties, and uh, I should say partner, and you know, she's she's had a rough go at it at finding a church that is willing to offer anywhere near what she's worth, <laughs> you know, in terms of salary, but also just in terms of, um, right, you know, a, a lifestyle. Like, there's, yeah, if I didn't do what I do, there's no way she could do what she does. You know, and, and a lot of the reason I left, right. you know, the corporate bank and came back to this kind of agency lifestyle, um, being able to work from home and that kind of thing is is just to be there with her and, and, and partner there because it's, it, to me, it, it really upsets me that we have so many talented young females and young males, but, you know, especially around here, young females, and especially in the CBF, the world I exist in, who cannot find a gig. And if they do, it's, it's a part-time church at a you know 50 person at most congregation um because the the larger churches especially here in the cbf cooperative baptist fellowship for those of you who don't know based out of decatur georgia um uh, uh president uh, carter is a member <laughs> um that's our claim to fame <laughs> you know we, we talk about having women in the ministry but a lot of the the larger churches of anywhere over 250 people aren't even going to they might consider a woman but it's going to be a woman who's played the game and been there since the beginning back in 1989. Or it's going to be someone who, you know, quote, has experience or someone from the inside of their church. Um, but, I, right. I mean, I know we have people in the CBF that listen to this. And I'm sorry if, if you know, I'm saying something out of line. But it, it really upsets me um, the way we treat our, our young female pastors and clergy and, and leadership. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not just talking about Marianne. I mean, there's. Lots, lots of examples here in South Carolina where, you know, we have these amazing uh, talents yep. that that you know eventually leave the church or or do what you know you all did and, and quote convert over to another, uh, you know, another team. Uh, like with my wife. <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. Exactly. Um. No, I agree. I, I think that um, a lot of times it's. Whether it's intended to be or not, it's lip service, right? It makes us, you know, or makes you feel good about um, your denomination being like, yeah, we we really support women. But, oh, yeah, but, I mean, we can't really, we can't push churches too hard because if we push them too hard, they're going to get upset and they're going to no longer be duly aligned. They're going to stop giving to CBF and just give all their money to SBC. And so we can't really, like, kind of take a stand on anything. And it's like, well, that's fine. I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure somebody in uh, – um, revelation and something about people like Warren. Um, you know, take that for what you will, but um, would only that. But I, it, yeah, I think it, I definitely think it, it's it's a big problem. And, and when I see these numbers of, of leaders, if I was talking to a business, you know, with my business consulting side of things that I do for my my employment, my tip making, as Paul would say, um, you know, if I look at all of these sixty year old predominantly white men, they're not retiring anytime soon. And, and I know that skews the number. I know we nope. have a lot of 40s and 50-year-old leadership in the Baptist world, in the Presbyterian world, in the Methodist kind of mainline denominational world here in the U.S. Um, but we also have a lot of pastors who are in, in their 60s, 70s, and even 80s, I know, uh, at least around here, who are competing with people like my wife for positions because they can't retire because 2007, 2008, 2009 happened, and they're just now getting caught back up on, on their retirement that they thought they were going to have. 
especially here in the Baptist world where we don't have any kind of central retirement system to actually help out the clergy. So, you know, you're freelancing your entire life, basically. And yep. you're not able to retire. You're not able to say, you know what, it's time for me to step aside and let some new blood into this church. And when I hear people at Baptist churches say, like, oh, you know, Pastor Jim, he's been here for 25 years. Isn't that wonderful? I'm like, hell no. That's 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 ridiculous. Like, <laughs> you're a Baptist church. Like, I could understand if you're, yep. you know, Episcopal or something, and you've got a rector who's been here for so long. But, gosh, you know, like, that's that, that whole scope of, of the landscape to me is, is really why mainline Protestant is mainline Protestantism is is just getting butchered at the hands of of an angry God but also uh, you know compared to something like like the Mars Hill churches of the world where you have these you know young vibrant pastors you know whether or not Mark Driscoll is a good person whatever you think but you have these young vibrant pastors that are able to get these young families in and it's less about the theology or or, or the the feeling of a home church and it's more about oh i've never had this kind of an experience in a church this must be the place to go because i'm feeling something that i've never felt with you know these 30 year old hymn books that we're reading you know or singing 100 year old hymns and 150 200 year old tunes that don't really resonate with anybody anymore but we still do that because my mom said you know my mom's saying rock of ages clef for me and so that therefore you know this has got to be the way to do it (laughs) And but but you know we've got a 75 year old pastor and there's a bouncing ball on a screen so we're we're trying to catch up to technology. Um, anyway, I have, I have strong feelings on this, and I'm, I'm not saying old people can't be good clergy. Cause that's definitely not what I'm saying uh, as an old person myself. But I think that there really is a notion when you look at something, and you know, not not to say the church is a business, but when you look at other areas of employment, if, other businesses, if you will, if the church is going to survive, it's got to have new blood. I mean, Jesus got that and he talked about that all the time, <laughs> you know, so it's yep. it, the self-preservation factor that I see so many clergy engaging in. And and when I, I mean, you know this, you, you've gone through these processes with us, with Ministries Lab and being on the, you know, uh, yep. the director's stuff and then helping us out there. But going through the new church starts thing and going through this and that, uh, these, these denominational congregational things, like there's so much talking around the major issues and, um, you know, it's, it's, yeah. I don't know. But I, th- I think you actually, I think you brought up a really good point um, that to some degree, a significant portion of this comes back to the economics of it. Right. And I mean, one of the things that you see with the, like the Presbyterian church is that they have a board of pensions and churches are required to pay a certain percentage of their um, people's salary to the board of pensions to cover their health care and their pension. So that when they retire, they have a pension and they have health care the entire time that they're employed. And if you're going to call somebody to a full-time position, there's just a requirement that what you have to pay. Um, and there are there are minimums like, you know, so Baptists have like their associations are kind of like local groupings and Presbyterians have their presbyteries. And there's like each presbytery has a presbytery minimum of what the absolute minimum you can pay somebody in a full-time position. And that varies from presbytery to presbytery because cost of living varies, and that makes sense. Um, but I think that that's really important is that um, that you take care of the people so that they can have a good, healthy life while they're serving you, and then they can also retire and not be destitute. But a lot of this, at least in my experience, like in the Baptist world, there is a strong kind of 
just barely under the surface belief that a lot of people hold. Um, that's kind of like, you should really just be volunteering your time anyway. And as long as that's the idea, because they're like, I mean, nobody pays me to come on Sunday morning. Why should you get paid that much to come on Sunday morning? Right. They don't, you know, of course, there's just this complete ignorance of like what people that work for churches actually do the same way in academia. Right. They think that academics just kind of sit around and read books and drink coffee all day. That's kind of what they do. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, but like they don't do anything. Right. There's this idea that there's no work there. Um, and and I mean, I encountered that a lot. That was kind of like, well, why would you need more money? Like, you're not really working that hard. Like, you have all these people here to volunteer to help you do your job. You don't need more money. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we'd love to pay you more, but, I mean, you know, times are tough. And uh, But we, we do expect you to work, you know, 40 hours a week and, and do this and this and this. And, uh, you, you know, family, like, ugh. You know, you, what, you went, to, you went to have a master's degree, but, you know, you're on call 24 hours a day. But that's okay because we're paying you, you know, $30,000 a year. Can't pay you any benefits. But, you know, we, we can help you. There's a great thing called Guidestone. And, and um, you know, maybe we can make you a, a W-2 employee if, if, you know, you sign this paper and this paper. It, but it, it goes especially. Yeah. In my, we'll, we got some, we'll bring you some casseroles. Anyway, um, a little bitter. That's okay. Read the Bible too much. You know. uh, uh, speaking of, I'm preaching this Sunday and I'm preaching on that passage out of Matthew uh, 10 where Jesus says, you know, he sends out the 12 and. And says, so, you know, hey, don't take anything with you and go be a cynic philosopher in yeah. the middle of town. And if someone, uh, you know, someone or, or some town like kicks you out, like shake, shake the dirt off your foot, curse them and, and move on. Right. And I'm like, ah, you don't want me. So you're going to play some Taylor Swift. <laughs> shake it off. Shake it off. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's going to be my mic drop. No, it's a hard passage to, to preach because, I mean, yeah. It, it, it. Yeah. It has that, but it also has my one of my favorite terms. Uh, or, or turns of phrases, I, I guess, in, in the entire corpus of Old Testament or New Testament, when Jesus says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. On, on the surface, it's like, yeah, okay. But when you think about the illusions that the author of Matthew there is making, like that's that's pretty deep stuff. I mean, that's yeah, that's up there. So is this going to be recorded anywhere? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll record it. Of course I'm going to record it. I mean, I'm just going to, you know. we got to have this in a lot of Congress one day. There are, it's going to be in my library. Exactly. A few of our <laughs> listeners who would be uh, interested in that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it. It's it's uh, yes, I, it's hard though. I mean, I, I don't know. That passage is fun. Anyway, we don't have to talk about that. But I thought you might find that interesting. And because I'm talking a bit about some of this, um, yeah. You know, some of this with with leadership and the the nature of church and what we're doing, and why we're doing it. Yeah. I mean, if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? That's what the. Uh, is that how that works? That that's what the uh, outreach committee wants. Make it as easy as possible. People come in, you give them a coffee, give them a name tag, shake their hand, tell them we hope they they come back. Don't really, damn, I can't really ask them to do anything during the week. I mean, you know, if they want to volunteer, that's great. But that's the thing, though. I mean, I I don't know. Maybe I, I've been spoiled as a pastor spouse here for the last few churches because the smaller churches, Marianne is you know, been pastoring have been so awesome, <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I hear horror stories from other pastor spouses, but, uh, from, from larger churches. So it's like, well, maybe it's good. She's, she's chosen this path or, or the path has chosen her because, uh, you know, the small churches really are to me where, uh, things happen and things can, 
you know, the spirit can still move things, and there's not institutional molasses kind of set it set in the way of, of listening to the spirit. Yeah, I mean, I, I I do think that's something that you see a lot. Um, that a lot of the eighty twenty rule doesn't apply churches as it does in larger churches, right? So, um, the eighty twenty rule just being where, um, you know, twenty percent of the people do eighty percent of the work. And, 20% of the people give 80% of the money, that kind of stuff. Um, in smaller churches, it's kind of like everybody's got to pitch in and everybody knows everybody's got to pitch in. Um, but so I'm thinking, you know, kind of about all of this and going back to how we started this uh, segment and talking about just kind of the actual like political beliefs or the party affiliation of clergy. And like, is that, I don't know, is that something that should change? So, so if you look at the chart, you'll see. I mean, there's a couple things to notice. One is that it's, um, it's organized most, pe- most members of the clergy in that denomination that are registered Democrats to the least registered as Democrats. But you quickly notice that if you did it most Republicans to least Republicans, the order would actually change. Like it wouldn't just completely flip because there are some that. Because they have this other column, this gray section that's other, right? So it might be, they might not be affiliated, they might be libertarian, there might be something else. Um, so it would be kind of nice to know what all that includes, but it's an other category. So you get denominations like the Adventist, um, where they have a large portion of other and, um, Greek Orthodox and the OCA, which is actually not one I'm familiar with. I don't know if you know the OCA. Um, but they're they're actually below the CGGC, which is another one I don't know. I wish they would have given us a key. Um, it's like I thought I knew a lot of these denominations. And the CGGC has a ton of Republicans, um, something like 70% of Republicans. But they're listed as higher than the OCA because the OCA only has um, – because they have a few uh, – you know, just a few – Less uh, Democrats. The, uh, anyway, my point is, if you change that, ar- I'm sorry, it, it's the Orthodox Church, the Antiochian. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, good. All right, that makes sense. I just didn't know that um, that abbreviation. But so, so what what what's the end goal here? Right, if you look at this and say, okay, how might this chart look different in ten years? What's the end goal? Is the end goal to get more people registered as Democrats? Um, right, i.e. like more progressive, more liberal, potentially, or is the end goal to get actually more gray on the scale than red or blue? I mean, does, and what's the benefit know. of that? Yeah, I mean, it, this is or maybe it doesn't even matter. Right, maybe it doesn't exactly, matter. exactly. Know. To me, like the the bigger ones were like the gender and the pay, those those t- types of dynamics. Right. Like the political side, it's like, eh. you know, in the in the headline of, of the New York Times article was like your rabbi is probably a Democrat and your Baptist preacher is probably a, a Republican. Well, yeah, no shit. Um, right. It's like, OK, tell us what we didn't know. The yeah. CGGC is the um, Great Lakes oh, Conferences, uh, Conference Churches of God, which I, I did have okay. to Google because I'd, I'd never heard of that. Um, and I just Googled to make sure OCA yeah. was Orthodox and I was correct there. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think the political yeah. leanings matter. And I don't think, you know, you're going to, you're not going to get fewer Democrats in Reformed Judaism and you're not going to get more Republicans in Southern Baptist life, maybe. Um, depending on how things go this week with their, 
their uh, convention. Uh, it's pretty interesting stuff coming out of there too with politics. Yeah. Um, when it's over now, but yeah. Yeah, that's pretty that was yeah. kind of wild to watch. It was it was. Um, so you, you know, I, I think just like with with Trumpism or with you know even Hillary Clinton versus Bernie Sanders, you've got these these shifting notions in the mainstream of of what it means to be on the right or left or political. Uh, progressive or pro- political conservative or liberal, however you want to say that. And I think those are going to get redefined uh, as we move along. So I don't know. I mean, it's interesting, but I don't think, uh, I don't think it's going to change all that much unless there's a, a crazy turnover in something like the Southern Baptist convention, which I don't see happening. Or, you know, if the Episcopal church splits yeah. over the, the uh, homosexuality question, um, you know, they're already fighting in the Anglican community about that. Um, and there's already, right. you know, well, and, and Methodists are too. So yeah, and the ELCA, you know, so that's, I mean, yeah, that, and that's going to be, yeah, interesting to watch over the next uh, year or two because their general assembly is uh, not every year either, and so their next one is coming up in 2019, maybe. Uh, but that'll be interesting to watch for the Methodists for sure. Yeah, right. So, you know, and, and there's there's long been calls for, you know, schisms and in the Methodist and Presbyterian uh, uh, world. Um, so I don't know. I, I I put less stock on those than than other things, you know. Because I mean, for instance, you know, and whatever your politics are, you know, politics aside, when Vice President Pence is he is he Lutheran or Baptist? What was his affiliation? I forgot what he called hmm. himself. We talked about this. We did. We should do more research before the show. Okay, so Trump calls himself a Presbyterian. <laughs> It's always that is always true. <laughs> we should always do more research for the show. Trump calls himself a Presbyterian. He's he's obviously not a practicing member of the church he says he goes to, where he's a member of, and they kind of disavow him. But I mean, you know, that aside, that wasn't a big deal in the election. I mean, it was for a few people, but it wasn't enough to skew anything. Whereas I think twenty years ago that would have been a major deal. You know, if Bill Clinton had said he was a Southern Baptist, but his home church said, "Nah, we don't really." Do you know? We don't really care. We don't really do much for him. Um, you know, so I, I I don't think it really matters as much. I think at the individual congregational level, people in the pews, traditionally in mainstream Protestantism, I will say I don't think people want a preacher to get up or a pastor or clergy or priest to get up and say, um, you know, hey, you should go vote for Donald Trump or you should go vote for this congressperson. I think that, you know, that crosses some lines, but I think that's got to be at a congregational level, and I think it's hard to get big meta feelings over something, you know, based on a whole denomination or a whole convention or a whole fellowship. Because, I mean, God knows you get, a, you know, 10 Baptists in a room together, and you're going to have 11 different theologies and opinions and everything else. Yeah. Yeah, though, I mean, I, I think you're right. I, I think most people would say, I don't want my pastor telling me who to vote for. Um but I think where that begins to break down is they say that, but they're also but they also want to hear their pastor very clearly hint that the person they want to vote for is the person that God would have them vote for, right? So you see this in in you know both liberal and conservative churches. I've seen it on both sides a ton. You know these like videos that get shipped out to churches to show on Sundays before election days and things like that. You know, Mike Pence did one this year. Uh, Obama certainly did them. <clears throat> and it's kind of like, hey, you know, 
you know, God, Jesus too. By the way, you know, um, these are some important issues for you to think about as you go to vote, right? So they're like, oh, we don't want our pastor to tell us who to vote for, but they want their pastor to agree with them and to push their overall perspective from the pulpit. I, I this is me, a hundred percent. I, I definitely uh, talk to my pastor a lot about like, hey, you said this, but you didn't say that. You should have said this, and. Um, I'm, you know, as you know, I'm a pretty critical person. He knows that we're, we're good friends. Um, but he says to me now, like, yeah, I knew when I was writing this sermon that you weren't going to be happy. And I'm like, if you're thinking about me when you're writing your sermon, I've done my job. <laughs> but, but I do think that a lot of people, um, yeah, and I think you're right. The congregations have to begin because they're creating these litmus tests. And then they're like, oh, why do we have all these problems? Well, I mean, a lot of the problems, honestly, are you, right? You have unrealistic ex- expectations and, and all, you know, all these other things that you're kind of, you're creating the atmosphere to have um, clergy that only agree with you or that don't ever push you or that end up plagiarizing or whatever it is. I think a lot of that comes from the unrealistic expectations that are set by the people sitting in the pews every week. Yeah, that's especially in this world where if you're a Democrat, you watch MSNBC. If you're a Republican, you watch Fox News. If you're in the middle, you kind of watch CNN, I guess. Maybe, sometimes. Not when Anderson Anderson Cooper's on or or Don Lemon, you know, because they're gay. But, um, you know, you can can find your way otherwise. Um, and, And... I mean, even, God, here, especially in South Carolina, I hear it all the time, like, well, that's that's the liberal church over there, so we really like going to that church because, you know, the, the pastor's a, a flaming liberal and it's funny, whatever. Or, you know, most churches, <laughs> I would say, in the state, you know, it's it's pretty conservative. And, um, mm-hmm. but I mean, going back to when I was a kid, it was, it was, you know, Lifeway would always send along the little pamphlets during elections, especially, I mean, I re- remember especially during like 92 and 96 when I was a teenager, we would get, um, you know, the, the little pamphlet saying like, here's how Bill Clinton voted on things, abortion, you know, homosexual rights, right. this, that, yep. like all these like kind of, you know, stock tick things, nothing about like the economy or you know, it's all sort of social issues. Um, you know, and I went to a small Southern Baptist yeah. church and that was okay. And, and the preacher never really had to say anything, but it was very much a, if you jump out of line, we're going to know because, you know, you can't right. be you can't be uh, doing all that. But again, we have Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And I know I hold back on things on places like Facebook where I am friends with people in Mariana's congregation. And I don't necessarily want to, like, say, like, hey, here's how I feel about this political issue. And hopefully I'm not that easily I guess I am nailed down as like a liberal or progressive or whatever, but because I'm really not, <laughs> but people assume I am because I have, you know, I take a critical stance. Just on keep something. telling yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at my voter registration card right it's now. Just, I just bring out the best in you. <laughs> exactly. You know, but I've, I've had people comment on that. Like, well, I didn't agree with what you, you know, I don't agree with your political feelings about, um, you know, Donald Trump. But I'm like, whoa, 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 what, where are my political feelings about the Republican party? Cause I want you to tell me that. Because you don't, you don't really know. Yeah. Um, you know, so like we, we self censor. I know we do, and especially clergy do. 
Yeah. And just like, yeah, your your pastor saying this. Well, <laughs> you know you and I do. Yeah. <laughs> if you could see our DMs. Uh, slide into your DMs. Um, like like Anthony Weiner. So, <laughs> it's terrible. I saw that picture again the other day out of context where he's like got his shirt off. <laughs> it just like random floated by on Twitter or something. I was like, oh God, what was he thinking? Anyway, um, you know, so there's there's that aspect to it as well where you, you get the performative part of social media where you have the insider language and outsider language. And I'm a I'm a member of a kind of a secretive group on Facebook, and it's pretty. I mean, part of the name is progressive, but it's it's a group of clergy people that I know pretty well and it's it's out there radical left you know but then on the other side you know i have conversations with friends that i would never tell my liberal friends about um yeah i don't know i, I just think that the performative aspect of, of what clergy have to maintain um and mm-hmm. church people you know yeah but but especially clergy and, and you know it's kind of like when i was teaching uh i remember in the last time i started a, uh, at a new school's 2012, I believe. And we had this new teacher handbook thing that we got at orientation on the first day. And of course it was all in Comic Sans, which, yeah. So there was a thing you had to, sign, there was a thing you had to sign and it was a uh, social media policy. And it basically, basically said, if you have social media, which I, you know, terrible to say in itself, uh, every media is social. <laughs> you have to sign uh, this document handed back into your, your, uh, division head saying that you will not post anything in public. Like all of your accounts have to be private. And I thought like, well, how the hell, like you can't do that. So I went and talked to my division head right. and they were like, well, you know, it's, no one, no one's ever really pleased it, but we're just kind of covering for ourselves. And it's, so things, you know, a lot of schools like us do. So I never signed it, <laughs> but cause I felt so like, I don't know, like, like don't, don't, <laughs> don't tell me how to, you know, interact with parents, and it was like, yeah, you know, it was like you can't friend, you can't friend, or students can't friend you. You, you know, parents be careful, you know, make sure everything's private. Please don't share anything uh, related to the school and your social media. Please don't interact with students after hours. You know, all this kind of stuff, which I understand, but I, I see and I hear that so much now in the clergy world. When I when I go again with my day job, I, I do a lot of presentations at churches about social media. It's one of the fun things we do. And we get a lot of that, or we get people that said, well, you know, if I'm talking to a group of deacons, almost every time I get this, well, I don't think our pastor should be on Facebook or, or this other consultant told us that the reason we're having this issue is because our pastor's on Facebook and they put up, put up this post or, or this youth got friended by this person in the church. And that's, that's weird. And you know, whatever. So instead of working through that issue, it's like, no, we're we're just going to wall that off and that's okay. It's a PG 13 versus R rated. Um, anyway, strong feelings there too. Yeah, I've, um, I've got a lot of stories that I'm not going to share on here. Um, but again, I think that that, I think the heart of the problem there is the members of the congregation, right? So most of the people that are listening to this, you know, we certainly have members of the clergy to listen to our show. Uh, and it's not like we're saying you're out of the, you know, you're out scot-free here, but, um, we have these unrealistic expectations, right? This, and we create litmus tests and it's like, not just, just can my pastor, you know, I don't want my pastor to tell me 
who to vote for. But it's like, I don't even want to know who my pastor is voting for, because if it's not the person I'm voting for, like, that's a problem and I'm going to make a stink out of it. And it's like, get over yourself. I don't know. I just don't have any patience for that. I've been around this far too long. It's not going to change. But I just think at a certain point, like, um, you want to hold pastors to a standard. Um, like, let's start by holding ourselves to a standard first. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and the pastor's not there I'm to not represent there. the congregation. The pastor is there to represent God, <laughs> you know, and to represent <laughs> the workings of the Holy Spirit. The pastor, like just themselves. Yeah. You know, they're, so, they're, they're not there to, yeah. to so, reaffirm um, your beliefs. You know. Anyway. Send us your hate. Uh, we got some. What's the? We got. We're gonna have to work this endorsement in somehow to some of our official material. But we got a fantastic endorsement this week. What was it that our show makes religion palatable? Yeah, I love that. Um, <laughs> Great listener who uh, might be the best endorsement. We've got. Yeah, it's, you know. Yeah. So um, anyway, so we do we do enjoy hearing from you. Keep that up on Facebook and Twitter and email and other means. Uh, we hear from a lot of you, but you know. And, and let me say, um, let me say, uh, we like has been a little wonky here, but. Um, if you have a question, don't don't hesitate to send that to us via Facebook, Twitter, email, whatever. You can find all that out there. It's not hard to do. Um, yeah, because we we've got about six or seven kind of great questions in in the uh, in the can, and we're going to use those as we go through the summer months here. Because you know, God knows, there's no breaking news every day that that's changing the world. So until <laughs> until that picks back up, which I'm being facetious, um, but yeah, you know, we're definitely going to get to your questions. So if you have questions about you know our thoughts or, or just um thoughts in general on like we've gotten some stuff on like free will and atonement and and uh some history stuff so if you have those kinds of uh questions rattle, rattling around and, and you've made it this far in the show please 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 get in touch and let us know and we'll get we'll get those uh addressed sometime especially if you give us money especially if you give us money <laughs> Um, you can find us on Twitter, same as at Sam Harrelson. I'm at Thomas Whitley. And you can always find this great podcast at thinking.fm.